I don't know about you, but I have never seen an ugly wedding. I have uh, probably in my years of being in ministry, I have uh, performed or been a part of 20 to 25 different ceremonies, um, different sizes and shapes. I've never seen an ugly wedding. I've never seen an ugly bride. Uh, I haven't seen, I've seen some groomsmen that need some shaving and some cleaning up, but I've never seen um, an ugly wedding. And, and, you know, in in the midst of all of that, of seeing ugly weddings, or seeing, uh, excuse me, not seeing ugly weddings, uh, I have seen ugly marriages. And the irony is, is that if every marriage starts with such beauty and passion and such vision for a bright hope and future. How is it that years, months later, it ends up in tragedy? And this week I have seen the best of the best and the worst of the worst. I've seen, I've talked and counseled with people who are going through separations that are leading to divorce, and I've been a part of a wedding ceremony at the same time. So see the best of the best and the worst of the worst all rolled up in one week. How is it that that a, a couple, and I, I would imagine every couple that's in this room, came to an altar of some church or outside, and again, there, I've seen the expensive weddings, I've seen the, the, the eco-weddings, the economic weddings, I've seen uh, inside and outside weddings, uh, and in the midst of all of that, how many of them went to the altar dr- dreaming that one day they would separate? One day their marriage would fail. And yet, you know, friends, even if you have, it's not happened to you, you have friends that that's happened to that you've wept with, you've cried with, you've sorted through the thoughts with. And, and how, how do you make sense of that? I remember back a few years ago, back in Duluth, Georgia, in April 2005, whenever Jennifer Wilbanks had put together her ideal wedding ceremony and uh, had crafted it herself, put it together, was planning for her her ideal marriage to her ideal man. And within just a few days of, of the wedding, uh, she comes up missing. Missing. And there, was, there were posters that were put out looking for her, trying to find her, believing that she was kidnapped, assaulted some, somehow, some way. And basically what she had led the authorities on to believe is that, that she had been kidnapped and assaulted in some way but only to find out that she was a bride with cold feet and that she had run uh, from her groom. And she was sentenced, she was facing a sentence up to six years behind bars and fined nearly $11,000. And she was willing to pay back the 13000 of the 30000 that the city of Duluth went, spent looking for her in the midst of, of that chaos. Um, dreams, whether it's a wedding, a marriage, a family, a church, a, a job, a career, a team, or whatever, dreams that we, that, we, that we feel like are of God and have never met a couple. And one of the first questions I ask when a couple comes to me for marriage is, why are you coming to me and not the justice of the peace? Why are you coming to me? And all the, always the answers are always, the same. well, we want God to be in our marriage. And so they have these big visions of God being a part of this. They believe God brought them together. God, this is the one for me. Kind of, kind of mentality, and, and, and I realize that the, the emotional hype of that and the excitement of that, but I wonder if we realize the backside of that, and that's what my job is in the premarital counseling role is to poke holes in those balloons 
And I literally warn people, if I do your premarital counseling, I'm going to try to talk you out of getting married. Because I figure if I can talk you out of getting married, then you probably don't need to get married. And so I look for holes in that relationship. Uh, in, in, in the midst of all that, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get down to the fact that the dream that God has given you for your marriage, for your home, it's not going to come easy. It's going to come with a fight. It's going to come with commitment and determination. It's going to come with a whole lot of denying of yourself. It's going to come with a, a whole lot. But again, whatever the dream is, whether it's marriage or job or church or, or, or whatever the dream is that God has given you, it's going to take tremendous pain, tremendous sacrifice. And we've talked over the past several weeks that even though Nehemiah is into the process of building these walls, the reality is, and rebuilding the nation and the kingdom, the reality is, is that it's come with tremendous battles between Sambal and Tobiah, between, even within his own camp, the Jewish brothers charging exorbitant amounts of, of labor and interest upon, upon the people in, in an ungodly fashion, actually against God's laws and, and, and instructions in Deuteronomy. And they were literally, it was an inside job that was tearing down the nation, rebuilding work that Nehemiah was about. But I want to talk today about something that may be a little closer to home. In fact, it is closer to home. It's within your own heart. The reality is, is that not only on the outside can you find elements that will destroy a vision and the work of God, not only in the, in, in the, inside the camp can you find destructive elements to tear down the work of God, but you better watch out for the inside of yourself, your soul, of who you are, because you can easily succumb to temptations, to things that are out there, that in a matter of one decision can destroy it all. And we want to come back in Nehemiah chapter 6 today is where we'll be. And we're going to be introduced to a new character in, in, in the arsenal, I guess. The emissaries of Sambal and Tobiah are, are certainly there. They're back. But they now introduce this Arab guy. named His name is Geshem. And Geshem steps up to the plate because he too is against the rebuilding of the walls, the reestablishing of the nation. Of Israel, and so as as this is unfolding, we got we got these tactical elements that are happening on the outside. But I want to warn you, as Jesus warns us in in the Gospel of Mark, that it's not the lust, and it's not the pride, and it's not the anger on the outside. It's what comes from within our own hearts. That is where, what defiles us. And so we need to, before we go too far into our vision, we need to check our own hearts. We see where we're at on our own hearts because. We might be aware or unaware that we might literally, listen, we might sabotage our own vision. It's not because of people on the outside. It's not because of people in the camp not liking me or, or misusing me or even in my own home. It's not that. It's, it's literally, it could be issues from within my heart that are stimulated from the outside. Yeah, poked at from the outside, but just like I would do in a marriage counseling session, that, that, that poking is only to point out the weaknesses that we're missing in our own character and our own establishment. So I want, to, I want us just to be aware of three ways that today that we can self-sabotage the work of God, the vision of God, the dream of God, the aspiration that God is putting into our, our very soul. I want us to be aware of the sabotage of the self that can come into play here. So jot these three things down because we'll read them and unpack them in Nehemiah chapter 6. And the very first thing is that you can be distracted. Sounds pretty simple. 
Sounds pretty non-offensive, right? You know, it's amazing the things that are out there that are distracting us. You know, we call it ADD, attention deficit disorder. People are diagnosed with that all the time. And where I give some credence to that I, I also don't think everything and everybody or everybody's suffering from ADD. Sometimes it's just they're suffering from a focus disorder. They have lacked focus. They have lacked determination. They've lacked that laser-like vision on the goal, the dream, and the idea that God is calling them to. Because, again, there are so many voices, telephones, emails, uh, internet that are out there begging for our attention that literally, listen, draw and sap the creativity, sap the energy, sap the focus. And instead of saying, no, I'm not chasing that squirrel, this is the mission, this is the direction, this is where we're going, and I'm not getting off course, we get distracted. In fact, there's a lot of influences that are out there, a lot of voices that we're listening to. Kirby Anderson lists out in his studies that he has done a number of top voices that people are listening to today. And these top voices are ranked in the order that we listen to them. Now, we may not realize how much we are listening to them, but notice them, all right? Number one thing that we are listening to in time-wise and that are influencing us are movies, television, the Internet. The top three influencers are the media. All right? The media that is out there. Now, I have to say that this is an older study dated back in the mid-2000s. I could probably say that the Internet may be even ranking up higher than movies and television today. I don't know. But behind that would be books, music, public policy, and number seven, families. Of the voices that we listen to, of who's influencing us today, Sociologists have recognized our influencers is not our family, not the voice that we should be leaning in on. It's the seventh on the tier of voices. That other, so many other things out there that are buying for our, our attention. The church didn't even make it in the top ten, by the way. All right, here's another fact from Kirby Anderson's study that by the time a high school graduate graduates from high school, he will have watched 22,000 hours of TV and been to class 11,000 hours. Now, again, voices that we're hearing, things that are begging for us, things that are educating us, things that are influencing us. Now, am I saying that television, Internet, all that's bad? Not at all. I'm just trying to just, just to raise some awareness today that God's got a vision for you. He's got a plan for your life. Much maybe like Nehemiah, and they're not all the same because at the same time Ezra is rebuilding the temple, or he's actually built it, rebuilt it before, you got Nehemiah rebuilding walls in the kingdom. So we're not all going to have the same vision. And that's the beauty of this room right now, is that God is calling you and you and you to different visions that He's calling me. But the great thing is we get to come as a, ch- a church collectively together and hopefully energize and add fuel to the fire of what God is calling us to. But the problem is there's a lot of distractions. And the church didn't even make it to the top ten. And your family, they're like seventh on the list if you're an average person. You've got so many other voices out there that we're listening to. Here's some warning labels you need to put across the distractions of this world. Number one, distractions are appealing. All right? That's just plain and simple. Distractions are attractions away from your vision. Just be aware of that. That, that, that the things that are out that I'm talking about are not necessarily big, bad, black, dark, evil. All right? That many times they're very enticing elements. 
David had never lost a battle as a king until he began to be distracted by Bathsheba. Interesting on the history of Israel. A strong, mighty king, but he became distracted by a very attractive woman. Now everything begins to change. Jonah couldn't get past his own prejudices to reach into the Ninevite culture to see a great work of God. It took God literally sending him down to the depths of the well before he could finally wake up enough to say, hey, there's a bigger vision out here and I need to be about God and I need to get past my prejudices. But you see how the attractions that are out there, I'm more attracted over here. No. What is God calling you to? There's so many attractions that are out there. Distractions are also good, not great. Realize again that there are a lot of good things that are out there. Television is not a bad thing, even though it's one of our greatest influencers. It's not a bad thing. But whenever we allow television to rule our Lori and I have, I think God invented DVRs. All right, we watch two programs a week. And we DVR them, and therefore we even cut out the commercials. So any of y'all in marketing and putting out those commercials, I'm not even looking at you. All right? The point being is that, that, that I just want to watch what I want to watch, and I want to back out of it. All right? If you, if you are the person who goes in, the first thing you do before you even take off your clothes, change your clothes before you even fix dinner, is turn on the television, and that's what you do, beware that television may be distracting you from the vision that God's calling you to. Interesting study I came across, a Nielsen study that was published out in 2010, just, just last year or two years ago. And it said that Americans spend about two hours a month just on Google. Google's become a verb. Uh, you know, you Google something, all right? We spend two hours a month just chasing information. Now, I'm not saying information is bad. I'm saying the Internet's bad. I'm not saying television's bad. I'm just saying if God has given you a clear picture of what could and what should happen over here, and we're over here chasing links and hyperlinks and the next thing and going on and on, what we're doing is we're missing the direction of God. And we will self-sabotage what we could be about. But the interesting thing, that same study pointed out that Facebook, Facebook, now I'm meddling, I know, but Facebook gets seven hours and 46 minutes of the average American's time in a month. That's eight hours a month, all right? That's a day's work, all right? I would safe to say that America likes, likes Facebook. I, I, I have to say, I'd have to say that. When we spend a day a month social networking, creeping people, uh, old boyfriends or girlfriends, high school people, people we don't even know, and we spend our time on that kind of stuff, I wonder if we're not missing being distracted. I'm not even going to talk about Twittering. I'm going to talk about all the other things that are out there that we get so involved in, so absorbed in, they're not bad. In fact, I'll call them good. They're just not the best. They're just not great. But also notice this about distractions. is Distractions. Now, I'm going to say this one more thing. What if you took that eight-hour day that you spend on Facebook and you spent eight hours a month on your vision? You know, you got this limited amount of time. You got this limited amount of resources. You got this limit, 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 limit. We say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. What if we just cut out one of the biggest time wasters that we're about? Think about it. You can spend a whole day a month just in one area. Distractions are also persistent. 
You'll never get away from them. You'll have to manage them. There's always new things. There's always brighter things. There's always opportunities that are out there. And Nehemiah didn't face Facebook. I'm sure you know that. And he didn't deal with Googling, all right? And he didn't have television. But he did have opportunities that came to him and that continually came to him. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 and following, it says, And now now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, here's our new Arab guy, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there were no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set, the, had set up the, the doors in the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafarim, something like that, uh, in the plain of Ono. But notice this, but they intended to do me harm. All right? He knew that that wasn't a part of the letter. It was a part of the letter was an invitation to this place near Ono, on the plain of Ono. And this is what he said in verse 3. And I sent a messenger to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now, I I I just want to point out something to you here. That the invitation that was given to... To, to Nehemiah was an invitation that could have been perceived and probably likely was perceived as somewhat of an olive branch. There's not a loaded statement. There were not insults. We've seen that. That was in chapter 1. We've seen that in other chapters. The loaded up statements, insulting, all that kind of stuff. There's no indication at all that, that that's what was in play here, that they were trying to attack him. He could just read between the lines. That's why the other statement was in there. He's calling him to the place in Ono. Now, Ono was really close to the beach, all right? It was really close to the beach. Now, just think about it. If someone gives you an invitation this week to come down to Destin for a week, are you going to look into your calendar and look for an opportunity to get there? Probably so. Why does 50% of Americans live within 50 miles of the beach? Because we like the water. It's relaxing. So just imagine with me just a moment. Nehemiah gets this invitation, this invitation to come to this nearby beach place with Sam Ballant and Tobiah, and there's no insults in there. Would he be positive? Maybe they've changed their character. Maybe they've changed their colors. Maybe things are different now. Not at all. He brings it down. He realizes what they're doing is simply trying to get him off the wall, simply trying to distract him, simply trying to get him off mission. Simply trying to get him off course. I want us to read verse 3 together. All right? Can you throw it up on the screen, guys? All right. And I sent messengers to them saying, read it with me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I love that middle statement. I'm doing a great work. What I'm about is the most important thing I can be about. It is a good work, it is a great work, and I don't need to come down from this work. Can you look at your mission? Can you look at your calling? Can you look at your work? And can you say with all of your heart, what I'm doing is better than any other opportunity out there. What This is so important. I don't want to be distracted from this. I don't want to chase a rabbit. I don't want to miss it. I realize that on Sunday mornings, this time right here, in the next two gatherings, as a pastor... I'm able to pour into influence, hopefully give spiritual direction to more people 
than any other time. And I realize in my own life, there's a lot of texting, a lot of emails, a lot of phone messages, a lot of opportunities, a lot of squeaky wheels out there. But I tell you what, I guard with vigilance my time when I'm studying and I'm preparing for this. I don't schedule appointments. I'll just tell people. I don't care if anything. This is my study time. And if I do schedule out or I do receive another invitation, I do take it, it's because I have rebooked other study time because this time is absolutely my building the wall. And if I miss this time, then I'm in trouble. There's a kind of a phrase around preachers that if you're not ready come Saturday, you get Saturday night fever, all right? And that's not the staying alive, staying alive Saturday night fever. That is the Saturday night fever that you are in trouble come Sunday morning. And so I got to block it off. What are you allowing to distract you from the vision that God is calling you to? It'll probably be a good thing. It'll probably be a worthwhile thing. It'll probably be a great opportunity. And I'll guarantee you it'll be persistent because all you notice in verse 4 of this same passage, notice this, they didn't stop. He says, and he sent to, to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. He did, they didn't stop. They didn't accept it one time, two times, three times. Four times they invited him to the Valley of Ono. And four different times he gave them the same reply. I'm not coming down. I'm doing a great work. I'm going to keep working. I'm not going to be distracted. Can you say that about the vision and the calling that God's put on your life? Dale Moody, next to Billy Graham, the most influential evangelist ever to breathe, made this statement. The trouble with the great many men is that they're spread themselves out over too much ground. They fell in everything. If they would only put their life into one channel and keep it, they would accomplish something. They make no impression. Because they do a little work here and a little work there. Lay yourselves on the altar of God. And then concentrate on some one work. What we need to do is we need to allow the values of your vision to dictate the events of your day. How does this tie to my vision? How does this, is this, is my my Facebook, am I just Googling from one, am I just, Am I just wasting my time? Or is this truly, when you're setting your appointments, how does it tie in to the vision that God is calling? Are you doing a great work and you're not willing to come down from that great work? How focused are you? Number two, beware of this one, guys and gals, that you'll not be discredited. Beware of this. Now, Sambal and Tobiah did not stop because they got four no responses from Nehemiah. They took on a different level. He had smelt the rat. He called him out. It was something. They they'd figured that he'd figured out what they were about. And so what they did is they sent a fifth letter this time. They sent a fifth letter out. And as this fifth letter goes out, this fifth letter goes out open. We'll come to that in a moment. But let me just say this. When it comes to your life, and you're an open book in this world, and your character is exposed, and your motives are measured. And what happens behind closed doors and nobody's looking? Is there anything happening in there? From this corner to that corner, from this corner to that corner, is there anything that your character is going to be exposed somewhere, somehow, 
that will point to your fall. That will lead to the vision failing. You listen to wise people, hopefully you get wise. One of the guys I like to listen to is a wise pastor, Warren Wearsby. He said this, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements. And that is what it is the way to run. If God's not developing your heart, if He's not checking your characters, He's adding to your vision. If you're not bringing things in check and you're keeping a straight arrow line, if, if everything, if you're holding on, if you're hiding anything, if anything's tucked away and your spouse doesn't even know about it, just, just beware. It will be a deterrent to the vision that God's called you to. I don't care how gifted, talented, how good looking you are. Here's a life principle for you. Your gifts may take you where your character can't keep you. Your gifts may take you where ultimately your character will cause you to fall. Be very, very aware of this. So this open letter goes out. What, is it, what does it say in this open letter? It's interesting he points that out that this open letter goes out because what he was basically doing is they had to rely on courier to courier to courier. And so who knows how many hands it passed through. But obviously, if there's this letter that's kind of open, and you're the courier, and you're on this little desert road out there going from point A to point B before it goes to C to D, and you just happen to know that this is from this governing official, and it's going to this governing official, there's going to be a temptation to open it up and read it. And if you read some good juicy stuff in there, there's going to be a real good temptation for you to kind of spread the news. Well, so it's interesting when you look at verse 5. What, what happens here? And in the same way, Sambalat, in the fifth time, sent the servants to me an open letter in his hand. It was written, and it was reported. This is what the letter said. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it. So I got, I got witnesses. We got three stooges here. And Sambalat's written it, and Geshem's supporting it, and, of course, Tobias somewhere around. Also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel and that it is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king, that you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning uh, you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear the reports. And so now uh, come and let us take counsel together. So Sambal makes him point as if I'm the peacemaker. I've heard these rumors. I've heard these bad things about y'all. They're not true. Our Xerxes, we already know, and Nehemiah are, 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 are in cahoots. He's got all the blessings of King Artaxerxes. What Sanballat and Tobiah are trying to do is they're trying. If they can't find any dirt, now listen to this. If people can't find dirt, they'll try to drum up dirt. Now the question is, is your character so squeaky clean that even if somebody drums up something against you, will it have any stickiness to it? Because there was nothing legitimate about what they were saying, yet he was saying it anyway. And in that reputation, because, because Nehemiah's character was so squeaky clean, it had no stickiness to it at all. Verse 8 and 9, Then I sent to him saying, Not such, No such thing as you have, say have been done. 
for you are inventing them out of your mind. For they all wanted to frighten us. Now, that will be a theme from now on. Thinking their hands uh, will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, here's a prayer of Nehemiah. Here's the sixth prayer of Nehemiah. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah said, listen, this isn't right. You're trying to discourage us. You're trying to cause a a, a morale issue. Listen, let your character speak louder than your words. May your character be the thing that carries you through. A book I think everyone needs to read is a book by James Cousay and Barry Posner, The Leadership Challenge. They surveyed 1,500 managers around, studied sponsored by the American Management Association. They asked them the question, what values, your personal traits or characteristics do you look for and you admire in your supervisor? So what is it out there, your superior, that you're looking for, that you admire more than anything? Is it innovation? Is it creativity? Is it hard charging? What is it that you admire more than anything else out there? 225 different values came back saying what traits, what they identified, what they wanted, what, they, what, what Kuze and Posner did, took the traits down, and they narrowed them down, and they said there's, there's actually 15. Because they were able to narrow all of them down and say, hey, this category fits in here, this fits in here, and then this one here. They had 15 categories. The number one category they labeled as integrity. They said people want integrity. They want truthfulness. They want trustworthiness. They want want somebody who has character. They want someone who has conviction. The number one trait that anybody following any leader wants to see in that leader. And you know what? That's what Nehemiah had. And I don't care the rumors that were out there. They had no stickiness to them. They were not true. I want to lead you to the third thing that will self-sabotage your vision. And that's to be discouraged. Sometimes when I think I have nothing to do with that, I, I don't choose my discouragement. But discouragement is one of those things that comes upon us whenever, whenever fear grips us. It kind of they kind of go hand in hand because what happens in the next section from verse ten and following, and we don't have time to read it all. I'll let you read it on your own time. But in verse ten, it says, "Now when they went out of the house, uh, 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 Shemaiah the son of Deliah, the son of that guy." who was confined to his home, he said to him, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. And again, all this time, they're trying to kill him. Who's this, who's this Shemaiah guy? Well, evidently, it's somebody that Nehemiah trusted. Somebody who worked maybe in the temple, who had access to the Holy of Holies. And... He said, listen, let's go and we'll hide in the temple because they're coming to kill you. And you go on and you read Nehemiah's response. He said, I'm not going to do it. Because where he was going to hide him, evidently, was a most holy place. And Uzziah, you talk to Uzziah, the king who was a great favor of God, but yet he finds himself in all kinds of trouble. And, And so in this midst, he's trying to trick him to get into a situation where God will deal with him. A lot to that. Shemaiah, Nehemiah, excuse me, smells Shemaiah's motives and calls him on it. It comes on in the passage and you find that he was hired out by Tobiah and them. I just want to say this, that we need to be aware that fear 
that they're trying to create in him. And it says it in verse 9, and it says it in the following verses. It says it in verse 13 as, as well. Fear will lead to discouragement. Okay? Because in verse 13 it says, For this purpose he, he was hired, Shemaiah was hired, that I should be afraid and act this way in sin so that they could give me a name in order to taunt me. So they were trying to, again, defame his character, to get him into the Holy of Holies where no king was allowed to go, no governor was allowed to go, no ruler was allowed to go, only the priest and only the priest once a year. And yet he was trying to get him into that. Because out of fear, it was all a motivation of fear to get him there. So many times, let me say this, fear stops us from the vision that God's calling us to. You go back and read chapter 2 of Nehemiah. When, when Nehemiah was moved with this great passion and this great need to go back to... And then what happens when, when, when the king asks him, what is it that's wrong with you? What's the first response? The response was fear. Fear stops us so often. And God's going to call us to great things. And what catches us is, is not the fear of reality. It's the fear of what if. Just what if. What if this happens? What if, what if, what if? And we many times self-sabotage our own God-called vision because of the fear that's around us. Henry Blackaby wrote an amazing Bible study. You heard me say it a hundred times probably. Experiencing God. He makes this statement in there. He says, I've come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something that I know I can handle, I know it probably isn't, is not from God. The kind of assignment God gives the, uh, in the Bible is always a God-sized. It's always God-sized. And when we start living in a God-sized vision with God, it's going to create opportunities for fear to creep in. E. Stanley Jones said, Fear is the sand in the machinery of life. Will you allow fear to motivate you or assassinate you? What is it going to be? The fear of moving forward, the fear of moving out, the fear of pressing forward. What will it be? Will it be distractions? Will, will it be your character discredited? What will it be that will tear it down and stop the work of God? Can you truly look at your life and say, I'm doing a good work. God, you called me this and I'm not going to get off course from this. Beautiful thing happens in verse 15. Because he, didn't, because he didn't get off course with his character, because he wasn't distracted, be, because of, of him staying in, in the moment and not allowing fear, because fear shows up in verse 9, it shows up in verse 13, it shows up in verse uh, uh, 14 where he prays again, his seventh prayer in the Scriptures, where he wanted God not to allow fear to be upon him. It shows up again in verse 16. It shows up Fear is all around him. He had more reasons to fear and be discouraged, but he kept moving forward. And verse 15 says this, And the wall was finished on the 20th, 25th day of the month of Elu. In the 52 days, the wall's finished. The vision, the vision has, that has been there to finish the wall, to rebuild the wall, it's finished. Let me just say this to you guys. Last week, 32 of you turned in visions that God has given you. And that is beautiful. That is awesome. 32 gave visions. Let me just read a couple of them to you. Throw them up on the screen. 
Someone to say, I, I, and this is literally quoted verbatim, repair my broken marriage. That's their vision for their life. Assist women with chronic illness. That person talked about how for five years they've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and living in pain. And that's the ministry that God's calling this lady to. Start a ministry in the Czech Republic. Taking my family on a mission instead of Disney Cruise for vacation. That will bring more rewards at the end of the day and the end of their life than Mickey will. I'll promise you. And our kids have done Mickey and our kids have done missions. I'll promise you that. Provide a greater support network for foster families. God has called me back to the classroom with the greatest passion and fire I've ever had for anything. You know what? I don't know who that is, but I want that teacher to be the teacher of my child. Because that person has passion and fire and they're doing it because they're called to it. They're doing a great work. I love the last one. Bring others, others so they can experience what I have at Grace Point. I hope that you have something here. I hope that God's doing something in you. I hope that God's growing. And that's just a sampling of what God has started. 34 different visions. You go ahead and submit your vision. Whatever, write it on a piece of paper. Put it in the offering plate. We want to pray for yours. We have a collective vision that God's calling us to as a church. And you hear me say again and again because it's something that we can all rally around. And I'm so excited that on March 11th, we're going to have our groundbreaking ceremony. And on that day, we're going to basically have two gatherings at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And right in the middle at 10 o'clock, we're going to have every, we want every church family to be here. And we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate through a groundbreaking time. There'll be things to remember this day by. We're going to have an all-church family photo. We don't do those very often. The last time we did it was groundbreaking on this land right here, on this building right here. We want to mark this day. We want to remember this day because this is a big time for us. It is a big vision that God's calling us to. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I love the last verse. It says, And when all the enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us were afraid, they fell greatly in their, in their own self-esteem. For they perceive that this work has been accomplished with the help of our God. As the epitaph of your vision, however massive, whatever complications you're facing with it, will you be able to say that this was accomplished by the work of God? Or has fear gripped you? Is your character not in check? Are you distracted? Let this be a time of renewal right now. Let's pray. Father God, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. We cannot hide from you. If we're distracted, point it out. If our character is not in check, show us. Lord, fear has overcome us. And we have discouraged about moving out. Lord, help us to surrender that to you and follow you fully.